if you got your Bibles, I hope that you do open them up to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there is a hardback black Bible underneath the chair in front of you. If you're using that Bible, we're going to be on page 946 today. It has been a great weekend. If, I hope if you've been able to come and join us on Friday and Saturday uh, that you have been blessed as we've been seeking to grow as authentic Christ followers. That said, if you missed those messages, I understand life is busy. Uh, those are available to you online. You can go to our website, albertachurch.com media. There you'll find links to uh, our YouTube channel and your favorite podcast app. Uh, but all month long and all weekend long, We've been walking through the four essential aspects of discipleship that lie at the heart of our discipleship model. You guys have been seeing this. We've been talking about this, right? So the, those four essential aspects are the word of God, mission, community, and prayer. Now, we've talked about all of them but mission. So this morning, we're going to talk about mission. The focus has been on these four aspects of discipleship because we believe they're what are going to help enable us to live out our vision statement. Our vision statement says that we are a family of authentic Christ followers who exist to love God and love people. That's who we strive to be, and we do that by being grounded in the word of God. We do that by being about our community. We do that by being powered by prayer. We do that by being unified in the mission. These four essential aspects of discipleship that are at the core of this model right here are what help us to live out the mission. And this morning, we're going to talk about that mission. Now, I think here at Alberta Church, we all know what the mission is, right? After all, we say this together every single Sunday when we recite Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the mission. And I'd be willing to bet that the vast majority of us have that mission statement memorized. But where I think we struggle is in living it out. And we struggle in living it out, I think, because of a number of factors. So, Today, we're going to look at the mission, and as we do, my, my hope, my goal is that you'll be encouraged to see that the gospel is both simple and weighty, and it's ours to share. That's the main idea of our text today. As we step into the middle of Romans chapter 10, we're going to see that, that the gospel really is simple. You don't need to go to seminary and get a degree. You don't even need to spend a lifetime coming to church and being in Bible studies. The gospel is simple. Yet at the same time, the gospel is weighty. You see, when we truly understand the simple message of the gospel, it's going to weigh on us. It's going to challenge us. It will lead us to share it with others. And, and in his providence, that's how God has decided he's going to grow his kingdom. By using people like you and me to go out there and share the gospel. And as we look at this text together this morning, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see that the gospel is both simple and weighty, and it's ours to share. So with that in mind, let's dive right in. Romans chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 9, and we're going to go to verse 15. The Bible says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Elsewhere in scripture, we read that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this encouragement that we find here in Romans chapter 10. Father, as we consider the call to go and make disciples, to share the good news of the gospel, we confess that often we struggle to obey this command. Father, I know that many of us walk around and and we feel this guilt because we know what we've been called into and, and yet we don't do it. And so today as we talk about that, would you help us to be encouraged? Forgive us where we have not shared the gospel when we had the opportunity. Encourage us, equip us. Let us walk out of here feeling like, yes, we can do this because you give us everything that we need to do it. Help us to be authentic Christians who live out our faith and share that faith with others who are in desperate need of it. Speak to us today. Let us hear from you today. We love you. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. What happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? If I were to take a spear that is irresistible and throw it at a shield that is impenetrable, what would happen? Now, by definition, if the spear is, is truly irresistible, then it cannot be stopped. Yet at the same time, if the shield is impenetrable, then it cannot be penetrated. So what happens if I throw an irresistible spear at an impenetrable shield? What happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object? The answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing happens. It can't happen because it's an impossibility. This is a very old paradox that rests on a faulty premise. The premise is that it's possible to have an irresistible force at the same time and in the same place as you have an immovable object. And the laws of physics say it's not possible. It it cannot happen. It's an impossible situation. And today, as we consider the mission that Christ has given us as his disciples, I want you to recognize that the teachings of Scripture are clear. It is not possible to be an obedient disciple of Jesus and keep the gospel to yourself. It's not possible to live in obedience as an authentic Christ follower and not share Jesus with other people. And yet, 
so often, that's where so many Christians find themselves. We find ourselves knowing the mission that we've been commanded to fulfill in Matthew 28. Many of us here today have that command memorized, and yet we never live it out. Why? I think there are a number of factors that lead us into this impossible situation, and most of them can be boiled down to just one word, fear. We're afraid to share the gospel. And typically that fear manifests itself in two ways. First, we're afraid that we don't know what to say. And second, we're afraid of how they will respond when we bring it up. Now, those are understandable fears. They, they really are. But as we look at Romans chapter 10, what we're going to see is that those are fears that we can set aside. Because this text gives us what we need to overcome those fears. Now, as we begin, we're stepping into the middle of Romans chapter 10. Paul is writing to a group of Jewish and Gentile Christians in the church in Rome. And, and here in the middle of chapter 10, he's zooming in on the gospel and the path to salvation itself. And he's making it clear just how simple it really is. And that's the first thing we ought to note if we want to overcome our fear of sharing the gospel. The road to salvation is simple. There's not much to it. It's pretty straightforward. Take a look, beginning at verse 9. Paul says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now these two verses here encapsulate everything you need to know to share the gospel. Confess and believe. That said, it's important to note that these aren't two mutually exclusive steps that must be taken. Contrary to what the average Christian in the 21st century might think, this isn't a basic math formula where confession plus belief equals salvation. Rather, what Paul is talking about here are two sides of the same coin. He begins by saying that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he starts with the confession side of the coin. Jesus is Lord. And that statement means far more than I think we recognize. The Greek word there is kyrios. It's the same word that was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to translate the personal name of God, Yahweh. So to say that Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge his divine identity. When you say that Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus is God. The British theologian Charles Cranfield noted that, that what that carries is, is just about everything that we would attribute to God. He said the confession that Jesus is Lord meant the acknowledgement that Jesus shares the name and the nature, the holiness, the authority, power, majesty, and eternity of the one and only true God. And here's the thing, that would have been readily apparent to every single person in the Roman church as they read this letter. Because Kyrios is also the title that was claimed by the Caesars. In fact, some scholars think that confessing that Jesus is Lord would have been seen as a direct challenge to the claim of Caesar. And yet to make this confession is more than just to say things about who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. 
But that confession is more than that. Because to make this confession is, is also an admission of who you are. Because when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're telling the world that you belong to him, that you've submitted to his authority, that you have placed yourself completely without any reservation under his authority to obey whatever Jesus commands. And that's the first side of the coin that Paul presents us with. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You confess who Jesus is. He's God, holy and majestic. He reigns. He's sovereign over everything. And you confess who you are. You're a subject of Jesus. You live to serve and obey and glorify him. But again, we're not dealing with a math formula. We're looking at two sides of the same coin, and there's another side. Because this outward confession comes from a deep and abiding inward conviction, which is the other half of the coin. Look at verse 9. One more time. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The other half of the coin is believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, when we think about our hearts, I think we're tempted to think about emotions. Like you might have told your spouse or maybe your kids, I love you with all my heart. But even when you're saying that, you're not really talking about an emotion. Because your heart, when we use it like that, it represents your whole self. It represents everything that you have. So to believe with your heart means that you're believing with your whole self, with everything you have. But you're not just believing in believing. This isn't accepting that you need to know and internalize some truth. No, this is a belief that has content to it. The content of that belief, the the thing in which you believe, is that God raised him, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago in the first message in this series, right? The resurrection of Jesus is the very center of the Christian faith. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he was, in essence, saying "There's the price has been paid. There's no more sin to be atoned for. I accept your sacrifice. Without the resurrection, our hope is dead, which is why it is brought to the fore right here. And here's the thing, when when you believe in the resurrection, you're believing everything that went with that resurrection. You're believing in Christ's life, that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that he left the splendor and majesty of heaven, that he put on flesh, that he came and lived among us in this perfect, sinless life. And you're believing in Christ's death that Jesus died on the cross for our sins in our place as the final atoning sacrifice, the wrath-removing sacrifice for sin. And you're believing in Christ's resurrection, that though they buried him in that tomb, on the third day he rose in victory over sin and death. To believe that God raised him from the dead is to believe the entire gospel message that Jesus has done everything necessary to reconcile us to the Father. That's what all this means. And that's all that's required for salvation. 
There in verse 9, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. That's all that's required. Not, you might be saved. Not, you've begun the path to salvation. No. You will be saved. There's a certainty in this. It's just this. This is how it happens. Don't miss that. The road to salvation is not hard. It's very simple. Christ has accomplished all that is required. So all that's left is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And again, these aren't even steps. They're two sides of the same coin. Which is why in verse 10, Paul reverses the order. Paul says there in verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. That word justified, by the way, it means made just, made right before God. When when you believe the truth of the gospel with everything that you have, you're made right before, before God. That's the first side. But then Paul flips the coin over again and he goes to the other side. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's two sides of the same coin. Timothy Keller put it this way. He said, to confess with the mouth is simply part of believing with the heart. They both mean to profess faith in Christ. Anyone who believes expresses this belief. All that is necessary is to transfer all of our hopes out of our hands and our control and into Christ's. That's how salvation happens. It's not complex. I think sometimes we build this idea in our minds that it's a hard thing to lead someone to Christ. And so we're afraid. We don't think we know what we need to say. But really, it isn't hard. We simply need to teach them the gospel message that we already know. Because the reality is, if you're a Christian, you know the gospel. And like the fact that the road to salvation is simple, I want you to know the gospel message itself, it's simple too. Like I said, if you're a Christian, you know the gospel, and you have everything you need to be able to articulate that gospel because you've experienced it. Do you recognize that? You have understood everything that's necessary to claim the name of Christ. You've experienced it, so you can share that experience. Now, there are multiple ways. There are multiple methods you can use to share the gospel. You've got three circles. You've got a a few others. You've got the Romans Road. There's lots of methods, but I think you guys know that my favorite method is bad news, worse news, good news, better news. I like this one because I like lists, right? It's, It's easy to follow. But here's the cool thing. If you're a Christian, you've walked through this before, even if you didn't realize it. Because this begins with the bad news. And the bad news is that we are sinners. Our sin separates us from God. If you're a Christian, you have come to recognize that in a real and profound way. But the bad news gets even worse. Because the worst news is there's absolutely nothing that you can do on your own to fix your sin problem. And again, if you're a Christian, you've probably tried. You've probably tried to be a good person. You've tried to do good things. You've tried to earn God's favor only to discover that it's never enough. It's never good enough. You can't do it on your own. You can't fix your sin problem. 
But then we come to the good news. And the good news is that God sent his son Jesus who came and lived a perfect life. He was like us in every way but without sin. He died a sinner's death on the cross for our sin in our place. And when we repent of our sin and place our faith in his finished work, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, he saves us. He takes away our sin. He gives us his righteousness and we're saved. And then you get to the even better news that when that happens, when he saves us, we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. Bad news, worse news, good news, better news. And really, like I said, if, if you're a Christian, you've experienced that. So just talk about your experience. Use this groundwork, or, or there are others, but use one of these groundwork along with the scripture that you already know to share how you had an encounter with Jesus and he saved your soul. It's that simple. But if you're still struggling, if you still feel like you don't have all the knowledge that you need to share the gospel with someone, do you know what will make it easier Live as an authentic Christ follower. This is one of the reasons we're emphasizing this all month long. Live like we're calling you to live. Immerse yourself in all four of the essential aspects of our discipleship model that we've been talking about all month long. And I'm not saying like stare at the model. I'm saying do those things. Like spend time in the word of God so that you're grounded in it. Read your Bible. Like, spend time talking to God. Like, take those fears. You can tell God, I'm afraid to share the gospel with my coworker. I'm afraid to share the gospel with my neighbor. Take those fears to him in prayer. Be powered by prayer. Spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. Be encouraged and equipped by your brothers and sisters in Christ by living in this biblical community together. And then do the mission. Do it. Because the more you do it, the more natural it will become. And listen, you can't fail. Right? If you share the gospel, you cannot fail. Because your job is not to save souls. That's God's job. God is the one who saves souls. God is the one who changes heart. You're just called to proclaim and God can use our terrible, messy, incoherent at times attempts to share the gospel to save souls. Like, I can't tell you guys how many times I've gotten down from preaching and been like, I think that that was complete gibberish. I don't think they understood a word I said. And then one of y'all, and it's usually on those days, will come and be like, Josh, that was so powerful. Thank you so much. I needed that right now. God can use our incoherence. So don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Just be faithful. Because the road to salvation is simple. The gospel message is simple. So we don't have to be afraid. Not about what we have to say. But as we return to the text, Paul is going to help us overcome the other fear. The, the how will they respond fear by showing us two other truths about our mission. First, he's going to show us that salvation is available to everyone. Take a look, starting at verse 11. Paul says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him 
will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is available to everyone. Did you notice how these three verses right here, they start and end with that word, everyone? Paul starts by citing the Greek translation of Isaiah 28, 16 and verse 11. And then he ends by citing Joel 2.23 in verse 13. All to help us see that salvation isn't for a select group of people. It's for everyone. You see, the temptation is to think that the gospel is for some people and not for others. In the first century, the division was between Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. How do we divide it today? Who are the people that you think need the gospel? Who are the people you think don't need the gospel? Either way, it doesn't really matter. Because as he points out there in verse 12, there is no distinction for God. The the same Lord is Lord of all. You see, Paul is working to help the Roman church understand that where they see differences, in their case because of their ethnicity, the Jews and Gentiles, God simply sees image bearers. The things that they thought divided them don't matter because God sees them all the same. And church, like we need to understand that as well. We're all created in the image of God. We're all image bearers. And because we're all image bearers, God loves everyone. Everyone has infinite value and worth to God. And so God offers salvation to everyone. And that's always been the plan. That's why Paul is working the way he is. He's intentionally stepping back into the Old Testament to help us understand that this isn't this new thing that came along with Jesus. It's always been the plan. It's always been this way. Salvation has always been available to everyone because as the prophet Joel said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if we can see that, then I think we'll begin to see how we can work through that second fear. That how will they respond fear. Now I need you to stay with me here because it's a step we got to take. If, if God offers salvation to everyone, and if God loves everyone, even people who have yet to call on the name of the Lord, people who have yet to place their faith in Jesus, then what does that mean for us? What has God called us, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, to do? He calls us to love them too. And if we love someone, what do we want for them? We want the very best for them, right? Like parents, you know this. You've experienced this raising up your kids. Like like for example, when, when Kylie was really little, she was having lots of issues with allergies. So much so that um, her, her allergies were causing her to get a bunch of ear infections and that required her to get the, those little tubes in her ears. 
Like, and it started when she was like an infant, right? So um, first time, no big deal. She didn't know it was coming. wasn't a big time. But by the time she was five years old and she was on her third set of tubes, it was a different story. She wasn't thrilled about having to go to the doctor. But do you know what never entered Tama's or my mind as we considered whether or not we should get these tubes for Kylie? We never wondered, well, what is Kylie going to think about us if we put her through this? Because we knew. We, we knew that the tubes would help her. We knew that this short amount of awkward pain, getting those tubes inserted because the anesthesia and all of that was worth the result because we loved her. And when we're thinking about sharing the gospel, that's kind of how we need to think. Because we love these people, we share the gospel with them. But I think the hard truth of the matter is that sometimes we love the relationship more than we love the person. And so we're afraid to share the gospel. We're afraid to open our mouth. What, what will this do to the relationship? But if I can just be blunt, it's not loving to not share the gospel. It's just not. If you know the very thing that provides life and hope, if you have the answer that can lead to eternity with Jesus and you keep it to yourself, that is not loving. So if you're dealing with that fear, Maybe the question you need to ask is, what do I love more? Do I love the relationship more than I love the person? I know it's a heavy truth. But the reality is, when you've received and experienced the gospel, it's going to weigh on you. It's going to come with this weight that leads you to share it. I'm curious. Have, have you felt that weight? The weight of sharing the gospel. It's a strange weight. It's a weight that's both sorrowful and joyful at the same time. It's sorrowful because you know that without repentance and faith, you know those people, your family members, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, they will spend eternity in hell, separated from God. And yet at the same time, it's, it's joyful because you know the offer that's on the table. Those same people, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, they can respond. They can find forgiveness and life and hope in Jesus. Their lives can be changed. So we experience this weight of the gospel. The weight that reminds us that we can't keep it to ourselves. The weight that reminds us that God uses us as his obedient disciples to share this message and make disciples. Like if I can be perfectly honest, it's that weight that led me to this text right here. Pastor Ben and I sat down a, a while back and we kind of planned out what texts we were going to use for each week of this month of, of January and we had a different text. But I just couldn't escape the, the weight of, of knowing we need to share the gospel with our neighbors, with our coworkers. And I, I kept coming back to verses 13 and 14 and 15 
because they remind us that God uses obedient disciples to make disciples. Take a look. In verse 13, Paul quotes the prophet Joel. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then starting in verse 14, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom, him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Can you feel the weight of those four rhetorical questions? He's reminding everyone, and that word everyone, by the way, that means exactly what it sounds like. He's, he's reminding us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in four escalating rhetorical questions, he asks us working backward through God's plan for salvation how they're going to get saved. And as he does that, he shows us the plan itself. You see, in his sovereignty, God, his plan to spread the gospel is to use obedient disciples to make disciples. This is the plan. And you can see it even more clearly if you look at the plan going backward, starting at the middle of verse 15 and working backward towards 14. You see, God sends his disciples. Those disciples tell people about Jesus. People hear about Jesus. They believe what they hear. They call out in faith, and they are saved. That's the plan. It's a really simple plan. If you're a Christian today, that's how it happened. God sent somebody into your life, and they preached the gospel to you. They shared the gospel to you. You heard it. You believed it. You called out in faith, and God saved your soul. That's how it works. Now, I recognize that we might be tempted to get hung up on that word preach there in verses 14 and 15. I don't want you to let that happen. That word preach there is not what I am doing right now. That word is proclaim. It's talking about, it's telling people about the good news, the gospel. You see, the way the gospel spreads is that God sends his servants, people like you, people like me, into the lives of people who need to hear. We're the ones who are sent. We know that because we recite Matthew 28 together every single Sunday. We are the ones who are sent. He sends us to proclaim the good news. This is the plan. And if you look really closely, you'll see that there is only one place where this plan can break down. David Platt did a, like a phenomenal job explaining this in his book, Radical. If you've never read Radical, go home, get on Amazon, buy it. You'll read it in a day, and it's going to rock your world. But he explained this. He, he walked us through the plan and pointed out how this works. He noted that God sends us out to share the gospel, and when we do, people hear the gospel as we proclaim it. Now, many who hear, not all, but many, will believe. Everyone who believes will call, and everyone who calls is saved. That's the plan, right? We've gone through it a couple times now. It's pretty straightforward, very simple plan. And there's only one potential place where this plan breaks down. And that's if disciples who are sent don't go. The place where the plan to proclaim the gospel to the nations breaks down is when disciples of Jesus, people like you and me, 
keep our mouths shut. And people don't hear the gospel. People spend eternity in hell because we were disobedient. Do you feel the weight of it? And if you do, do you feel the weight enough to act? Do we love our community? Do we love our neighbors? Do we love our coworkers, our classmates? Do, do we love our family enough to share this good news with them? Because this is the mission. The gospel is both simple and weighty. And it's ours to share. It's not somebody else's. It's ours. Do we feel the weight of it? I, I hope that you do. And I don't want you to feel that weight and associate that weight with guilt. You should associate it with joy. Because that's how Paul ends this right here. He ends with a reminder of the joy of being obedient by citing Isaiah 52, 7. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, Isaiah's speaking in Hebrew poetry there, and, and, and it's painting this picture of like the joy that comes with good news. And the joy that's held by the person who shares that good news. Have you ever shared good news with someone? Like how excited were you to tell them? That's what awaits us. There's fulfillment and joy in obedience. It's a blessing to be the person who shares. Don't forget that. If you've never shared the gospel, go out and do it. And then go tell your friends what happened. The first time you share and somebody accepts Christ, you're never going to forget it. I can tell you stories of driving down the road and somebody calling me and saying, hey, I'm following Jesus now. I want to be baptized. I've repented of my, like, I'm driving down the road, almost have to pull over because my eyes are just like filling up with tears. It is a joyful thing to be obedient as we share the gospel. And it's ours to share. So don't forget that. Here at Alberta Church, we strive to be a family of authentic Christ followers who exists to love God and love people. So are we going to live as authentic Christ followers? Are we going to love God by obeying his commandments? Are we going to love people by sharing the best news that they could ever hear? Are we going to share the gospel? That's the challenge. That's the mission. The gospel is both simple and weighty, and it is ours to share. We don't have to live trapped in the impossible situation. We can be obedient disciples, and we can share the gospel. So let's go out there and let's do that. Let's go out and proclaim the best news that we could ever share with someone. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the encouragement that it gives us. We thank you that you sent someone 
And for each of us, that someone might be different. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a kids' church leader. Might have been a pastor, but you sent someone who was already a disciple of Jesus, and that person came, and they, they shared the gospel with us. And then you did this work in our heart where, where we were able to hear and receive that gospel, and we believed, and so we called out on your name, and, and you saved our soul, and we are so incredibly thankful for that. Father, would you help us to continue the chain? The chain that started with Jesus, who shared his gospel with his disciples, who shared it in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and that spread to Asia Minor and into Europe and then to Rome and, and then across the Atlantic Ocean to North America. And then it spread from the east coast across to the west coast and eventually it came to us. Would you help us to continue that chain? Would you allow us the privilege of being the person with the beautiful feet who proclaims the good news? And Father, when there are times where we are tempted to be afraid, in that moment, Give us the words to say. Help us to be obedient, to just open our mouths and know that it's not about us, it's about what you're going to do as we're obedient. Would you help us to love the person more than we love the relationship? And then, Father, as we do that, would you be so gracious to us as to allow us to see the fruit of obedience? Would you save souls? Would you bring people in to your kingdom? Grow your church. Not, not here at Alberta Church. You can grow us if you want. That's your business. But, but God, would you grow your kingdom in a way that is mind-boggling to the community and the world around us? And would you start with us?